Well, praise the Lord, everyone. I'm glad you're here this evening on this Wednesday, this hot, muggy September Wednesday. Is that amazing? It is the middle of September, and it is hot and muggy, and uh, it's unusual weather out there. We broke some records, I hear. But anyway, tonight we're going to delve into the Word of the Lord. We have a lot of folks that need your prayers tonight, so we're going to ask the Lord to touch them. There are several people that are not feeling well, and we want God to minister to them. So let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight, asking Him to open our hearts and minds for this lesson, as well as let us pray for them that are sick. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your love and your kindness, Lord. I thank you for your people, and Lord, for all those that are joining us online, either tonight or in the future, Lord. I pray tonight that they are blessed. I open, I ask that you open our hearts and our minds to your word, Lord. Touch those that are sick, those that are not well tonight, Lord. Give them strength and allow their bodies to be healed by the blood in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody say, in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. amen. It's good to see you tonight. Thank you on this beautiful, supposed to be fall day. It's getting there though, isn't it? At night, it's getting chilly. So, all right, we're going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. How many know that we need to have unity? Amen. I'm going to talk to you out of Ephesians chapter 4. It's one of my favorite chapters in Ephesians. And it's Paul writing to us. And uh, he has a call to unity. In this hour, unity is, is like a unicorn. Unity is hard to find in its purest and under God. Unity about godly things. Unity about things that are of God. We have people that are unified around a lot of earthly things. Unified around making money or unified around all these other issues in our world. But I want to talk to you about unity in the body of Christ. We are fitly joined together. We have come by not our own accord. He has called us. He loved us. He's brought us to this point in time. And I believe tonight that you want to study with us about this unity we're talking about. You're going to hear more and more about the unity of the body of Christ as the hour grows near. Amen. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 4. This is Paul writing to us and it's a call to unity. Therefore, Paul writes, I, the prisoner of the Lord... I love this because he calls himself a prisoner. He says, I want to be locked in with God. Implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the what? Calling in which you have been called. I talked to my young pastors about this, my young ministers, that you've got to walk worthy in the calling that you've been called. God expects more out of ministry than he does out of someone that's just coming into the body of Christ. Amen. Those of you that are seasoned saints, God has higher expectations of us, right? Because we need to walk worthily uh, of the calling by which we've been called. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, With all humility and what gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance one another in love. Showing tolerance for one another in love. That's a tough one sometimes, amen? Having tolerance for people that you disagree with or having tolerance with people that are not uh, friendly to you or that you get along with. It's important that we do all of our ministry, the calling that God has on our life with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance in love, being diligent to preserve the what? Unity of the Spirit where in the bond of peace. Without unity, you'll never have peace. Unity is what brings peace. In homes, unity is what brings peace. In relationships, unity is what brings peace. Unity does not mean you might not disagree. Unity means that you decide that even in your disagreements, you're still going to strive to the same goal, to the same thing. Unity is not about, oh, I can't have my own thoughts or my own understandings. No. Unity is about what? It's about coming together for a common purpose despite our differences. Unity is what Christ is calling. He prayed for our unity. He wants us to be one. So we have a, a, a map, so to speak, for unity. It must be done in humility. It has to be gentle. It has to show patience. It has to show tolerance in love. And it must what bring a bond of peace among us so we're supposed to be diligent that word diligent means what it means to be very focused very very focused on bringing this unity of the spirit now 
Um, Paul, uh, if, if you can just see this, Paul describes the spiritual blessings God gives to the church and he reminds them here in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to jump to, um, I want you to uh, delve into with me. Uh, he describes these spiritual blessings that God gave to the church and reminds them how God has expressed his mercy. I'm here glad for God's mercy. Amen. I am in saving them on the basis of faith and not what perfectionism. Everybody say faith, 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 not perfection. It's not about being perfect. It's about being forgiven and living in faith and obedience. Amen. So let's look at Ephesians, Paul writing in chapter two. We were in chapter four. We'll go back to that. But let's go to chapter two for a minute. We find in chapter two and verse one. And you have he quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. He has quickened us. In other words, we got something we don't deserve. He gave us mercy and grace that we don't obtain our own selves. But we allow ourselves to live in faith. He has quickened us who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world. You know why ministries all over the world are trying to get people to walk away from worldliness and things of the world? Because it's trespasses and sins. We're trying to get you out of walking in your flesh and walking in the spirit. So in all of your lives, we must recognize that there are places and times that we've got to understand God has a purpose for our life and we can't walk in certain areas, do certain things, and still obtain what? Living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. There is this thing called sin and it's still real and it's still a part of fallen man's experience. But we have grace that is covering us. But you've got to, you've got to walk away from your sin, right? So we're in times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It's like we're watching the news this, this evening, amen? Um, we have a world that is going crazy. I, I know that I say this often, but I'm, I'm not lying to you. I have never seen... And I'm 54 and I haven't lived that long, I know, but I'm going to tell you, I know people that are 74, 84, 94 that are telling me the same thing. That I have never seen anything like this. The, the, the violence that's going on for no reason on the streets and just the whole tenter of, of the world and the spirit that's going on in our age. Um, it's sad. And nobody, by the way, nobody wants to take a responsibility for anything. It's everybody else's fault. And, uh, but we've got to not work or live according to the world or according to the principality of the air, which is Satan. The spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience. Watch this as he goes on. Among whom also we all, someone say, that's me. Yes, that's me. We all had our conversation in times past. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for his love. Times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, I must say nature, that's right, we were born sinners, and in sin we were conceived. This is something, you're not born righteous, you're born a sinner. You have to what? You have to live in righteousness. You have to obey God's word in order to obtain that righteousness. So what happens is by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. Verse 4, but God. Someone shout, but God. Ah, there it is. But God, who is what? Poor in mercy. Well, what does it say? It says rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. God's mercy is everlasting. It is never ending. But you've got to submit your life to His mercy. His mercy is so amazing, but you've got to say yes, Lord, to him. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Someone say, I'm loved. Amen. Come on, type it in tonight. I'm loved. You are loved by the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he in his mercy gave you the things that you need to become righteous, namely the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary and his love towards you so that you can receive that great mercy upon yourself and upon your family. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it goes on in verse 5, 
even when we were dead in sins. This is the second time we've read that passage, read those words, even when we were dead. Someone say, thank God when I was a sinner, right? He still loved me, reached for me, and gave me mercy. Thank God that when I was not living, even conscious of His love, He still ran after me and wooed me with His love and made me uh, understand His mercies were for me and for my household. So if you're struggling tonight with past sins, if you're struggling tonight with things that were behind you, that you've asked God to forgive you for, but it just seems to be like on your mind and nagging you and making you feel like you're not saved or fulfilled in Christ, you need to rebuke that spirit and say, in Jesus' name, get behind me, Satan, for it is written. You're saved not by your works, but by the works of righteousness that Christ has called us and has given us. So he says this, Even when we are dead in sins, hath quickened us together with, with Christ, by grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us, made us, I'm going to say made us. Now I love this word because it's a word that, that we uh, sometimes... Uh, we kind of skip over too quickly, and that is that he didn't. It didn't just happen. It just we weren't born in the. Remember, we were born in sin. He made us. That word "made" means process. I'm gonna say process. Put it out there. Process. It, it's a process of being bettered. It's a process of God working with us. He made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Someone say in Christ. Amen. So let's go on to verse 7. What does it say? That in the ages to come. Everybody say the ages to come. Uh, so many times we are living in a generation that's a right now generation. The instant gratification is part of the problem of our society. They don't, they, don't want to, they don't want to work for something. They want the government to give it to them. They don't want to... Uh, I can go on and on. Uh, my little bit of a bailiwick there. Uh, my soapbox. But if we're not careful, we will expect God to be the same way. That we want something for nothing. And God doesn't work that way, ladies and gentlemen. God wants you in order for Him to give you. God wants you to surrender your heart. Surrender your life. And give you. He will give you grace and mercy. He will reach for you in your sin. But He won't keep going there if you refuse to let Him in. Paul says, that's right, Paul says that we can't continue in sin, that grace may abound. God forbid, right? Seek ye and you may find him. Knock and it shall be opened. Right? There's the concept that says, I've got to do what God, too much is given, much is required. When God reveals himself to you, you can't just do nothing. You must react accordingly. You must react in thanksgiving and in obedience. So that word obedience, can you write that down? Obedience. Can you say that word obedience? Because that's the problem in this hour. Everybody has a spin on what they think they ought to be obeying in God. I'm here to tell you that God's word is sure. It's absolute. It's amen. It's everlasting. It is the word of life. It is what we build upon. It's what the world is created on. It is the embodiment of who Jesus Christ is. The Word was made flesh and He dwelt among us. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, if you love me, obey my commandments. And so many people in our time frame, they hear so many voices and they don't study their Bible for themselves and they hear things and they decide that they don't have to obey this or that or the other. And I think... Uh, I'll tell you what, when you start using the words, I think, in connection to God and His Word, you're in trouble. Just back up and say, you know what, I'm in trouble here. Because when we start using our I thinks, our mind is not anywhere matched towards God. His thinking is so much higher than ours. Submit yourselves to God's Word. Someone say amen. amen. If you don't, you're going to be sorry. Do it because it will be healthy and it will save you from your sins. So, this is what it says, For by grace are you saved through faith. The age, the age to come, that he might show his excellent riches of grace. Second time we've talked about him being rich in mercy or rich in grace. In his kindness towards us through what? Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved, how? Through faith. You cannot have grace without faith. You cannot be living in grace with not believing and obeying God. 
So many people that grace think that it's this free pass and get off for free and do nothing. It's not what it is at all. Grace is only triggered in your obedience. Grace is only triggered in your obedience to God's Word. When you're living in the obedience to God's Word, His grace is going to be sufficient for you. But when you are living outside of God's Word, His grace runs from you. You need God's mercy. God's mercy will woo you and bring you back to a place of the cross and the blood of Christ. But don't think you're walking in grace. Oh, no, please don't. Because you're going to be sorely wrong if you are refusing to obey God's word. I've got to tell you this as well. I said it a minute ago. Too much is given, much is required. There is places of ignorance in our lives that people just don't know, so they don't do, Right? It's only through the revelation of God's Word, through prayer and fasting and reading His Word, that we receive the fullness of the revelations that God wants for us. Again, that's hard work in the spirit realm. Can I get an amen? It's not something that just happens automatically. Uh, too many times um, in my work uh, as pastor, I have over and over found people that thought that God was just going to, uh, it, it was like a lollipop. You know, you, you turn to, you, you give a little in the offering, you volunteer a little bit, you go to the altar once a month and you're all set. No! Study to show yourself approved, right? Find yourself in the place of His mercy and in His presence. Some will say amen. So we find that He's going to give us this rich grace and He has rich mercy, He's rich in mercy. Verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of ourselves. Someone say, I can't save myself. Amen. You cannot save yourself. I can't save you. I can't save me. It's only Jesus Christ in obedience to this word that saves us. It is the gift of God. How many are thankful for the gift of God? I am so thankful that God's gift. I spoke to somebody this weekend. And uh, we were sitting uh, at a table, we were at a wedding, and wonderful people, and I, I performed the wedding, and there was a guest there, and they were sitting across from me, and we were having this, this wonderful conversation about God and, and His Word and church, and, and uh, so in that conversation, she said, do you speak in tongues? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. I, I, I believe in that. Absolutely. And it's the word of God. And I quoted a few scriptures to her and, and she's like, that's it. She goes, you know, I've never, I've served God my whole life. I'm, I don't, she, I think she says she's in her thirties and she said, I've served God my whole life, but I've never, I've never gotten that. I've never spoken in tongues. She says, As a matter of fact, I don't want to speak in tongues. And I said, really? I said, why not? She got very upset. She said, because all the people I know in the church I went to that spoke in tongues were mean people. <laughs> I'm like, really? She said, yeah. They said, always telling me I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm like, I felt so sorry for her in that moment. I'm like, you're kidding me. She's like, no. Every time I went to church, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. She said, so I just made it in my mind, I wasn't talking in tongues. I didn't believe God was going to make me, you know. And so I said, well, it sounds like that you have a problem with people and not with God. I said, and yet you're punishing God because he died on Calvary to give you his best gifts. And Paul told us to seek after his what? Best gifts. And we are to understand that. His gifts are freely given. It's our submission to Him and our obedience to Him. So you're just punishing yourself and Jesus right now because you're letting someone else steal your gifts. I said, imagine if a thief comes in before Christmas and steals all of your children's gifts. She had a couple children, your gifts and ran out. How would you feel about that? I said, now if you hadn't unlocked, if you had locked the door and, and unlocked it and opened it up and put a big sign out and said, come get my gifts, well that's different now, isn't it? But if you were trying to preserve those gifts, I said, God preserves some things for you, for you personally. And that gift is for you and you need to seek that gift. It's of your salvation and you need to be a part of that. And she was like, I've never thought about it like that. I'm like, I know there's just, you got to realize these people. They, they're messengers from Satan. They're not your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're trying to discourage you from faith, not encourage you in faith. And I got to talk, and she got brighter and brighter. She was, by the end of our conversation, she was like, 
Well, maybe I should start praying for the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. I said, there you go. That's what you should start doing tonight. So uh, um, I had this comment. I don't know where that's going to lead, right? But I do know that she had this view of God when it wasn't God that was doing this to her, right? It was crazy idiots that were doing this to her, right? Every time she showed up to church, she didn't speak in tongues. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. She left. I felt condemned. She said, I, I just, every time I left that place, I never felt left lifted up. She said, I stopped going. She goes, I, I just stopped going. At age 15, I said, I'm, I'm all done. I... She says, I, I just, I'm not going to do it. And they're just, were so mean about it. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I apologize for the entire church world. And I apologize for all the idiots in Virginia. I, I don't know them, but I'm sure they're here in Michigan as well. You need to, to allow God to speak to you and allow him. Someone say, amen. amen. How many know that his gifts are amazing? His gifts are just absolutely what you want to seek after. Why would you not seek after something he died on Calvary to give you? He came that you might live and live more abundantly. And in that abundant life, you can walk, not just see or feel it every once in a while. You can walk and the Holy Ghost can live inside of you. And someone say amen. amen. You need to speak with other tongues. Someone say amen. amen. But you also need to speak with other tongues with understanding. Paul writes and says, don't speak in tongues around people that don't have understanding. So you don't speak down to people because they don't have or have participated or have had the joy of receiving that gift. You encourage them. You walk beside them. You, like Philip, help the Ethiopian eunuch. You walk beside them and teach them and give them uh, the reason to hope and understand. Make them excited about what God has for them, not tell them they're you know going to hell going to hell going to hell by the way nobody has the right to tell anybody they're going to hell except jesus christ himself because he's the only judge someone say amen i'm so glad no one gets to judge me except him aren't you right because i know if i got to judge some folks i know where i'd send them to no matter what they were right exactly and that's why my heart has to constantly be at the altar because i'm human and i have feelings and there's some folks I'd send to hell that I know they're probably righteous. <laughs> but I'd be like, nope, I'm sorry, my friend, you messed up one time. I know you asked for forgiveness, but it's too late. And uh, But you know what? God is merciful. I can't do that or have that attitude. Why? Because if you want mercy, you've got to what? Give mercy. Someone say amen. So give mercy. Yes. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift. Of God and not of works. I'm gonna say not of works. Oh, lest any man should boast. Lest any man should boast. Why God won't let you work for salvation? Because there's always gonna be somebody that's got more money than you, that's more holy than you, quote unquote holy, that does all the crosses, all the T's and dots. All there's somebody that's gonna be better, right? I promise you. There's those people that love to live in that law. Because they think works will save them. You're not saved by works. You're saved by Jesus Christ through grace, by faith. Someone say amen. amen. Verse 10, what does it say? For we are his workmanship. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. God has you on the table, right? I already talked about him making you a new creature. I talked about him making you this, this, this person in him, right? That it's through his process that he loves you and cares for you. You are his workmanship. I want you to think about God has you on a workbench. And there's bumps and bruises and there's things. And you go out into life and you get into things and do things and have struggles and trials and tribulations. You bump and bruise. And yet he puts us back on his workbench of love. He works on us. He helps us become better us. Uh, the person's inside. He helps us to become better humans, better Christians. He helps us if we allow him and we work to obey that word. He puts us on his workbench. He tells a story of, uh, of the potter's field and the potter. And it's so beautiful that you can be in his hands and you can be molding if you're not. He's going he's gonna to put you back in the potter's field. And he's going to let you sit there and suffer the consequences of not being pliable to his word. There is a place in our lives where we have to recognize God doesn't hate us. He does not want the worst for us. He is the workman that is working on our lives. 
I want to say this. As pastors, sometimes I, I tell truth and people get very angry at the messenger. When I'm only espousing what God's word says. And um, it's one of the great uh, labors of love for me. I hate when God puts me in a position where um, a person says to me, please, please tell me what God's telling you. I, I want you to help me with this issue. I want you to help me with this problem. And I sit back and I say, okay, Jesus, do you really want me to say it? Because I, I hate when I do that sometimes. Why? Because people get angry, right? They get angry. They're angry at me, but they're really angry at God and his word. And in our lives, if we're not careful, we will take things out on humans, other people, when they love us and speak truth to us. And especially when we ask them to. Amen? So make sure that you are pliable in the hand of God and that you verify. If a pastor tells you something, make sure he's in the book. Right? Amen? And make sure that whoever is speaking to you is in the book and that they're not just speaking off the top of their head. I, uh, I had an interesting uh, Saturday, um, I'm just going to tell you to say the least. So the other individual that was sitting next to me at this uh, wedding was an individual I'd never met before. And so they sat down and they uh, just began to talk and I was listening. And, and they said, well, I'm going to prophesy to you. And I said, oh, well, this should be good. This should be really good, right? And so they began, and it was, I mean, it was 20 minutes of nonstop. I mean, it was literally, um, I'm eating my food and drinking my water and my salad. And I got up and went to the restroom, came back, they kept going, right? And uh, no, as, as angels would attest, this is what happened. And so... So I, I'm, here's the interesting part. They were so sincere. Everybody say sincere. sincere. They were really sincere. They were trying to speak. And they were speaking nice things, good things. But it wasn't prophetic. The reason it wasn't prophetic was because it was nothing that, they, that was not already in the Word of God. I spoke about this a couple weeks ago. They were quoting Scripture, and, and they knew, knew some Scripture, right? They were very kind, very loving. But they were just telling me what I already knew, Right? That I'm going to be saved. I, I know I'm going to be saved, right? That I'm, I'm, when I follow God's word, I'm going to prosper. I know that when I follow God's word, I'm going to prosper because that's what his word says. And they weren't being ugly or that's not what I want to portray. But I want you, they kept saying, this is, God spoke to me about this and this is what God told me to tell you in particular. And I didn't say anything to them because I know their hearts were, were good, right? But they had been taught somewhere that this is prophecy. And I thought to myself, this is ironic that this is happening to me when just two weeks ago I was telling people about this very thing. We were talking about this exact thing. I talked about it in my ministry class. I talked about it in here on Wednesday night. Um, because if we're not careful in this hour, we will be sucked in by people that are good-hearted, right? But we will take things that are not prophetic and make them prophetic. We've got to be careful in this hour. Why am I? Because Jesus Christ is your workmanship. He, he is the master craftsman. He's the one that will work on you. And he is artist. But the problem is most people that hear this guy speak to them and say it's prophecy, they don't know their Bible, so they think it is prophecy. Okay? So it wasn't that he wasn't speaking good things, right? I want to be very, very clear about that, right? Nice guy, super nice guy, right? Good guy. But in his training, what he thought was prophetic was simply re regurgitation of Scripture, and that's good too. But we cannot say we're prophesying to somebody when we're speaking Scripture over life. That has already been prophesied. Now, you could approach them and say, I have some scripture for you today that's going to encourage you, right? Now you're on the right track. That's what it is. It's not prophetic. So be careful. I don't know why I've been on this. Well, I do know why. Be careful when you are listening to people wanting to give you personal prophecies off in a corner somewhere. And just be careful because God, he is the one that created you. He's the one that will speak to you. He's the one that ordains you. He's the one that walks with you. His spirit lives inside of you. He will speak to you, right? Prophetic utterances are very particular. They're very 
very specific about their where they're headed, right? They're not generalized or already written. Someone say amen. So be careful with that. So uh, we've got to walk in these good works, right? Created Christ into, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Walk in good works. So he says all that there that we just read in Ephesians chapter 2 to say this. He wants to remind us we need to be unified. Then he addresses the major fault line and division of the church between the Jews and the Gentiles. I think this is so important because if we're if we're not careful, right? He just talked to I talked to Ephesians chapter two all the way through verse ten. We're fixing to go to verse eleven. So he told us all that he just told. Us. We're saved by grace that we are kept that we are a part of his kingdom he's preserved us all these things the things that we need to do in order to obey god's word all that we just talked about but then he addresses immediately the fault line that's in the church that's causing disunity and that is the fault line between the jews and the gentiles you see the jews didn't think the gentiles could ever be saved they don't still today think the gentiles are saved they don't think that there's any dispensation wherewith God will save them as he will save the Jews. And that is something that was a fault line. Christ came to break down the wall. Someone say amen. Of enmity between us and, and the Father. He, he came to break down the wall of the law. He came to destroy the things that kept us from him. Destroy the works of Satan. To bring us to a new place of understanding. By the cross... And the resurrection, we now live in a new covenant, a new place. We live by different things than those that were a part of the Old Testament lived by. And those that he was speaking to in Ephesians, they were still holding on to Jewish traditions and trying to live in Christ. And Paul, if you read Galatians, is pretty emphatic about you can't do both. You can't be saved by the law and saved by Christ. It's not possible. It's not something within us. So this great fault line in the church, you can read about it in Galatians and how Paul traveled and he met with James and how that he had his men shave their heads and cleanse themselves for the temple. Although the temple, that was completed and he did not have to do that by this new covenant that we now live, but he did it because there were traditions of men that they were still trying to hold on to. We find that he withstood Peter to his face because Peter was with the Jewish people and he was fraternizing with them and telling them they're fine. And then he would fraternize with, with the Christian faith and, 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 and tell them they were fine. And they were, there was a, a, a great discussion. And so you're going to find this tension, this, this tension through the whole New Testament between the Jews and the Gentiles. It's so much so that Paul has to write, there's neither Jew nor Greek, he writes. He says, it, it's not about Jews or Greeks or Gentiles. It's not about that. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ. It's about salvation. So we have this fault line. Now, I just want you to remember everything we just read. If you go back a little bit and all the, we are, he's, uh, we are, his, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus on good works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. He talked about the ages come that he might show exceeding riches of mercy. We talked about riches of grace. We talked about by grace are you saved through faith. So he's building up to this thing. He's telling them about grace. He's telling them about mercy. He's telling them about how they are unworthy. It's only through that faith in this great God of heaven that they are going to receive this mercy and grace and that he's going to help us, right? But then he goes immediately to the position of the Gentiles before God. He says to them, they were uncircumcised. In verse 11, therefore remember, here he goes, it's writing to Gentiles now, right? We're in Ephesians. These are a bunch of Gentiles he's talking to. He says, therefore, remember that formerly you, right? The Gentile in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. I'm going to say human hands. He was trying to move them. God has given you this rich mercy. He's rich in grace. He'll help you become a new creature. He said, 
but I want to remind you, remember, in the former you, you were uncircumcised, and the people that were circumcised, you were a Gentile, and the Jews thought you were unclean. And it was performed by the flesh of man, in the flesh of man, by men. So he's addressing immediately in verse 11 this position of the Gentile. And then he says, he, they excluded the position of the Gentile before the cross. They were excluded. The Gentile could not be saved. Before the cross, there was no room for them under the table of Jesus Christ. There was no room uh, for them uh, under the law, rather. There was no room for them under the place of, of the bulls and, 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 and goats and sacrifices and rolling up of sins. There was no room for them at the temple. There was no room for a Gentile at any of these temples or places or tabernacles or tents of worship. They were out. They were excluded. He says in verse 12, remember that word again. Remember that you were at that time separated from who? Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You had no say, no right. He's reminding the Ephesians. He's reminding those that live in Ephesus that you, before the cross, before Christ came, you were uncircumcised, you were unclean. You were excluded. You didn't belong. And then he goes on to say, and strangers to the covenant of promise. You didn't even know about the covenant of promise. You had no idea there was a Messiah coming. <laughs> you didn't know that there was someone that's going to come and take away your sins. You were strangers, uncircumcised, unconnected strangers. And then he says, goes on, having no hope. And without God in the world, you were uncircumcised, you were excluded, you were a stranger, and you were hopeless. There was no hope for the Gentile. <laughs> historically, listen, historically, the Jew either copied idolatry, the Gentiles, when they worshipped calves, right? Or gods, or idols, or Baal. That was all Gentile, right? Or they completely rejected them and lived according to the law. They were constantly torn between, do we want to be a Gentile? Do we want to be a Jew? Read the Old Testament. It's a constant commentary on them building idols and then going back to God. Isaiah, Jeremiah, please come back to God, right? They were always confused. It's interesting that they got so angry in the New Testament at the Gentiles when they had tried to be like the Gentiles half of their lives. You know why? Because they were feeling guilty. They, they were, wait, 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 they can't take our place. They, they can't, no, 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 we're jealous here. No, no, they can't do that, right? So, historically, the Jews struggled already with this thing of Gentile Jew, Gentile Jew, what am I going to follow? You know, remember, remember, for, as for me and my house, remember that? You can serve the idols like the father, your fathers did, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord? That was another, another poignant example of this tension throughout the scripture and the Jewish people of who they're going to serve. So relationships between Jews and Gentiles that converted to Judaism, right? They shared a religion but did not share a life. Jews had a separate life. Gentiles that converted to Judaism could not even obtain the life of a Jew. They could only obtain the lifestyle of, of following the etiquette and following the thing. But the Jews still wouldn't let them worship in their temples. Right? The Jews still wouldn't let them do anything with them. So, the relationship between Jewish and Gentile converts to Christ. Watch this in verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, what? Afar off. Have been brought, what? Near. How? By the blood, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, by the blood of Christ. He said, you remember, you were, you were disgusting. You were uncircumcised. You were a, a, a stranger. You were separated. You had no right here. And yet, but now, you are something. You were, never forget where we come from. We were not his chosen, but we were absolutely his chosen because we're now a chosen generation a royal priesthood by the what blood why do i preach so hard about the separation of testaments 
Because if you continue to live in the Old Testament and under the law, you are going back from what Christ purchased for you that we see pointedly in the church. When we have people that are trying to follow the law and be saved by works and people that are living in grace, there's always a conflict in the church because those that are living in the law by works want everybody to do exactly what they've always done. And the people in grace are like, I don't know, so they're like, you're sinners, you're going to hell. Right? You're going to hell, you're a bunch of sinners. Right? And we're perfect, but our secret lives are just as filthy as everybody else. And everything, our thought lives, and everything, we all need the blood. How many know we all need the blood of Jesus Christ? We all need His care, His love, His kindness towards us. And Paul recognizes in Ephesians 2 and 13, he says, But now, everybody shout, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were what? Formerly afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Watch this. Then he talks about the relationship between the Jewish and the Gentile converts to Christ. So he was talking about the Jews. He talked about the Jews, uh, that uh, the Gentiles that converted to Judaism. And now he then talked about Gentiles who God converted and they gave their life to heart. Now he's talking about Jews that converted to Christ, right? And how their relationship between the, the, those two. This is what he says. For he himself is our peace, who made... Both groups in one. Both groups into one. Everybody say into one. My prayer for Pineview has always been, in this hour, hear me today in love, in this hour, the world does not want us to have peace and be as one. Division has become a, 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 a thing of people's great passions if we can divide everybody then we can have our own look division has become the hallmark of this era division 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 on everything politics you name it i have there's more than i can name the people that try watch the news trying to poke trying to divide it's interesting you know that you and I are influenced by so much by Facebook now. We're influenced by people texting us. We're influenced by internet. We're influenced by TV. We're we have so many influences in our lives. And so many of them are trying to separate us from each other. From the love of God. Right? Division has become a currency in our world. Did you hear what I just said? Division has become a currency. If you don't think like I do, then you are my enemy. Not, ju not just I want to debate you and change your mind. You are my sole thought of enemy. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to find ways, whether they're ethical or not, whether they're righteous or not, you are my... This is happening in the church. This is happening in circles of religion and circles of... This is happening in our world. I'm bothered about this because I feel like that spirit has seeped into the body of Christ. I'll tell you right now that next year, the whole year, we're, we are our children, our youth, our adults, this class, every class that's taught around here is going to be about the kingdom of God. The kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thirteen times Jesus taught parables about kingdoms. We're going to take each one of those parables and break them down and look at them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto. Do you want to know what the kingdom looks like? It does not look divided. There is no big eyes and little U's. We are all at the throne of God in one mind, in one accord, in one voice. I always talk about this church looking like heaven's going to look. It's become much harder in the last several years. It's actually something that has discouraged me in my spirit that I have purposed in my life and will continue to purpose in my life to fulfill revelations where it says that we are all every nation, every kind, every creed, every tongue and they gathered around the throne and they sang a new song that is my purpose go love the world the entire world but the world and even the church world and those in the church have become so sucked into this spirit of the age that they have excused themselves in division. For he himself is our peace and who made us, what made both groups, I'm going to say both groups, into one and broke down the barriers of the dividing wall. 
I want to ask this church, I want to ask you as individuals, what is your dividing wall? I discovered in the last several months that, that COVID divided me from some people, not by my choice, but they made it an issue of division. And the way I did or did not handle that COVID became more important than souls and salvation. It, it wasn't enough to have your own opinions as we all should and take care of ourselves as we all should. But when we start throwing and lobbing bombs into the church over issues of personal, it becomes, becomes divisive and it harms the body of Christ. Someone say amen. This is what it says in verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the enemy, which is... I'm just going to, I'm just, this is the, this is the scripture, folks. You, 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 this is it. What, what, read closely. Verse 15. Who abolished this? Jesus Christ, right? How did he abolish it? In his flesh, by dying on the cross, right? And what did he abolish? Law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man. He abolished the law of commandments contained in ordinances. King James says he abolished the law and its ordinances. We've got to get through this point where we have unity despite our differences. Again, unity doesn't mean that me and Brother Carl have to say the same thing and talk about the same thing and think the same thing. It means that in our thinking and in our conversation that we recognize there's a soul over there. We're going to become all things to all men that we might win some. So Brother Carl and I are not maybe going to agree on when the rapture takes place or when the dead in Christ actually rise up. But that doesn't affect that soul. That soul will never know resurrection if we don't put our difference aside and win the soul. Unity is about focus on something that Christ has called us to. Unity is about saying, yeah, I have opinions, and that doesn't mean I don't have opinions, but while I'm operating as the body of Christ, I'm going to lay some things at the altar in order to see the greater good done, the bigger picture of sinners and saints. So he says, what does he say? He says, <clears throat> the commandments and orders, so that he himself might, what? Make the two into one new man. Everybody say one new man. One new man. And thus, what? Thus establishing peace. Where there is division, there is no peace. Look, this is what he says. Continues in verse 16. And might reconcile them. Reconcile them. Bring them together. Let them work out their differences in love. Right? Right? Both in one body to God through the cross, by it, having put to death the enmity, the thing that caused the division, getting rid of that thing. Someone say amen. This is good teaching. In fact, it's the best teaching because it's the word of God. And this is where we're at. I, 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 I'm just telling you what I'm dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis in the body of Christ. What I'm hearing about on the phone from my friends and my other local pastors. What I'm seeing in the world. We're not being taught to support loving each other despite our differences. And again, we can have differences. I promise you, Brother Carl and I, we absolutely love each other. We respect each other as men of God. But we see a lot of things very differently. It's a great fun time when we get together and debate them and talk about them. It doesn't separate us in any way, shape, or form. Amen. And in this moment, we are not allowed to do that in this world. We are told that we have to all agree or disagree, one or the other. And that's not how God is operating or will operate. So, we find relationships between Jewish people and Gentiles. Look, and, and Jews and Gentiles unite to each other. Watch this in, in verse 17 through 22. I'm almost done. Watch this as this happens. This is what he says. And this is a continuation of the last chapter. And he came, Jesus, and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. Someone say peace. How many want peace in your life? I don't know about you, but there's days that I wake up and I say, Lord, I just want peace. I just want there to be peace in the body of Christ. 
I just want there to be peace in the world. He came and preached peace. Verse 18, for through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Watch, he goes on, verse 19. So, we get these images of unity, him and the Father. He wrote in John 14, I and the Father are what? One. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He portrayed this image of unity all the time. So then we were no longer strangers and aliens. You are now fellow citizens with the saints. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a fellow citizen. Right? Yeah, Sister Roseanne, I'm a citizen of heaven. We're both citizens of heaven. And I'm excited about, Brother Mom, I'm excited about being in the kingdom with you. And this coming year, I cannot wait what God's going to do in this church body. I'm not lying to you. The thing, there's, there, there, I got a bunch of pots. God's got a bunch of pots on the burners and they're starting to boil. And I'm telling you, God's is, is going to, but this is what has to come. We all agreed. We all agree that this is what has to come right here. We have to lay down, not my kingdom, thy kingdom come. Not my will, thy will be done. As in heaven, as it is in earth, as it is in heaven. There has to be a cry in the spirit of the church that says, we want to be unified in Christ. For without unity, we cannot fulfill the word of the Lord. Without unity, we won't see heaven. I tell people this and they look at me astonished. What? I won't, I won't be saved if I'm not in unity. You can't have disunity. It's called rebellion. I'm going to let that sit for a minute. Rebellious people will not fare well at the great throne judgment. It's the first sin that the angels committed. It's the first sin that Lucifer committed. It's why Lucifer got thrown. And in Peter he says, if I didn't spare the angels, who do you think you are? We're nobodies. But we're saved in his children when we walk by his faith and grace. So, we're no longer strangers. We are fellow citizens together and, and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation, there it is, there it is, there it is. If you don't know the foundation of the apostles, you'll never know how to walk in unity. That's why we're going to talk about foundations. Tuesday nights, this coming year, you're going to hear a lot about the foundational scriptures of the Word of God. From salvation to the who God is and His name, what it is, and how we apply it. The foundations of baptism, the foundations, you're going to hear that. Because if you don't have the foundations, you're never going to climb the mountain to unity. Right? So we're going to talk a lot about that. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? The cornerstone. Being the chief cornerstone. In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy, ever say holy, holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together unto the dwelling of God in the Spirit. Paul it explains the nature of the church by outlining the way God has brought us together. And he used the most separated, desperate groups at the time to show us that. The Jews and the Gentiles. They were at odds. So listen to me today. The cost of unity is discomfort. The cost of unity is discomfort. It means you have to lay down some things that you might really love but are unimportant. I really love cabbage rolls, but if I didn't or was not able to eat cabbage rolls, I would have to decide to put that. I'm using cabbage rolls because it's the first thing that came to my mind. I must be hungry for cabbage rolls. Um, Metzger's out on <laughs> Zebra and has amazing cabbage rolls. I wonder if they're still open. <laughs> Just joking. Um, uh, sometimes we have to lay down things. By the way, cabbage rolls, I can live without them. They're not vital to my life and my sustain. You know, no. But I really like them. And there's some things that you're going to really, really like that you're going to have to say, you know, but I've got to lay them down because I've got to become all things to all men that I might win some. 
The unity of the body of Christ is more important than the cabbage roll that I love. And in your life, there are some things that are really very, very close and dear and dear to our hearts that Christ says, I need you to give those to me. Think about what Peter loved. Peter loved being a Jew. Read Gentile. Read, read uh, Peter in, in Galatians. Read Peter in all, you know, read him. I know this is another disagreement that we have. But read the book, right? Why? Because Peter loved being a Jew. He loved this this thing, being a Jew, he just had to fit in with the Jews, and he's always trying to fit in with the Jews. This is a guy who had the keys of the kingdom, right? This is the guy that was, he had it all going on. But where was he when in the world? Do you find him on a ship, running around on a missionary trip? No, you find him holed up, right? So Peter gave himself. But there was a constant battle inside of Peter about being a Jew. I always think about what Peter could have been if he would have submitted that to God. Someone say amen. Uh, I'm not despairing Peter. He's a man of God. I'm just simply saying what would have happened. He's an example in my life. The cost of unity is discomfort. It means you're going to do things you're not comfortable with. Listen, the greatest task we have as Christians is to maintain that unity, to build that unity, to make that unity, to work towards that unity, that oneness of togetherness by loving one another despite our differences. Despite our differences. This slide is the hardest slide I wrote while I was doing these slides today. Because unity is work. I'm trying to train another generation. I'm so excited. I have 10, actually 12 now, young women and young men that say, Pastor, I want to be more. I want to learn more. And they've been here every Saturday. <laughs> they're giving up their Saturdays. They're praying together. They're fasting together they're working together on October 1st we're all going to go serve together we're going to do a community project together because I want to train them how to serve it's not just about the Bible and getting behind them it's fun I love the Bible and we need it we got to have it it's lifeblood to us but it's you know in order to have unity you got to you got to go be a part of the community and serve the community you got to be a part of what God wants to do so the cost of unity is always going to be discomfort but the benefit of unity is the kingdom of God is at hand. The world always wants us to look at the things that we disagree on. Mm -hmm. Not the things that we agree on. Totally agree. And as an apostolic, that's what we should see in each other. That's right. The things that we agree on. That's right. As someone who calls on the name of the Lord. Yes. I think even with our fellow uh, Christians that we've got to focus on the things we agree on. Like Philip went and, and spoke to uh, to the Ethiopian Ethiopian and how that you know Paul stood on Mars Hill and said, "I, I don't you know I'm, I'm not worshiping these idols, but I'll tell you about this unknown idol though this this one to the unknown God. I know him. I've been there. I, I, I've seen him. He met them at the place they were." And didn't expect him to be the place he already was. Yes. So he loved them before they belonged. Right? And I think that as churches and Christians in general, we've struggled with that. Interdenominational things where we have disagreements. And there's disagreements over salvation. I understand that very clearly. But if we never involve with people, we can't influence them. Right? Yes. Knowing who we are. I'm not talking about sending a babe in Christ to go. No, I'm talking about people that are, that are well-versed and know who they are in Christ and are seasoned saints of the word elders and i think that we've got to in this hour reach 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 right who better to know further truth than those that already know some you know you were a good catholic for a long long time right oh she was a good catholic for a long you were a lutheran right you were a lutheran for a long time i mean i mean i was a big sinner for a long long time so you know uh, I put on uh, Facebook the other day, Brother Ed's baptism. I'll never forget that day, right? 
It was a glorious day. It was a magnificent day, right? We all have past. We all have things that we were coming from. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't come together and love one another. Amen? Amen. I love everyone. If you're online tonight, God bless you. Come join us on Sunday, 1035, and we're praying for you. We love you. If we can help you in any way, please contact us here on Facebook at MyPineViewFacebook.com. My so God bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine upon you. Amen. And give you holy and blessed peace. Good night.